This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Everybody, welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And we're back with you once again to talk about films and other things. What's happening? It's hot. It is hot. This house has no AC. Oof. And I'm feeling it. I've got a, a, a mess of fans going, but uh, I'm all right. I'm comfortable. Yeah. I grew up without AC, so it's not like it's like a return to form. Yeah. I feel like I've been blessed to have AC <laughs> in the last few years, but that was not the norm for most of my life. Well, it's funny because you had AC at least in your last apartment in L.A. And I, I, that was the first time that I had not had AC. Yeah. Except for a time when I was in my 20s when I rented an apartment in Atlanta. I think I talked about this on an episode where I rented an apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, that did not have central air. And it was the worst. I lived there for like four years. I should have definitely broken the lease but um <laughs> but then when i moved to uh, la you know i found out pretty quickly that most people don't have central um yeah. it's mostly just either window units and people open windows so it's funny that you you had it in la but you didn't i guess don't have it in new york no and it would be it's gonna it would cost like um i looked into it and it would it would cost so much money to put an hvac system in this house like cost prohibitive amount of money to put HVAC in to have central air. Yeah. Um, but the other motherfuck of all of this is that <laughs> my my windows are it's a it's a barn. It's an old barn. So the windows yeah. are all um, they're not egressed. They're all like um, slanted. Mm-hmm. So I can't put in window units. <laughs> what a bitch. Because they would just be tilted towards and then drop onto the floor. <laughs> you know, you could always pull one of those. Um, one of my neighbors had this, which I thought was wild. It looks wild, but I, I won't begrudge anybody for getting an AC unit that has the pipe that comes out of the window with that big f- hose. Have you oh, ever yeah, seen that? Yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. Someone in my my first apartment in L.A. had that. Um, I had some neighbors who were Jewish. And the reason that I knew that they had it is because on Friday night, um, they couldn't turn on their own appliances and stuff. So they would always I I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, if I'm home, just knock on the door and I'll do it for you. So I'd have to go in and turn on their they had one in their bedroom. And I was like, oh, this is cool. (laughs) Like I turned it on, but I was also like checking it out. (laughs) I know one of my neighbors had it coming out of their window and it would just like spill onto the, the little landing that we shared. And I'm just like. You know what? I want you to be comfortable, but also this thing is fucking huge and it's taking up a lot of precious landing space that I need to like sustain life. I need this space for passing out because I don't have AC. So (laughs) this is where I allow me to leave during a fire, please move this giant fucking duct or whatever it was. It was like so big. (laughs) 
doctor. Yeah. Oh, just a comedy of errors, that old apartment. But um, that apartment was something else. Man, oh, man. The stories I could tell. Um, <laughs> but I, but yeah. Otherwise, everything's good. I'm having I'm having a really good summer. Surprisingly, oh, like good. I just feel like very calm and content. And I just kind of um, remodeled my my own kitchen. Oh, good. Which has been fun and, um, you know, hot. <laughs> but I took down doors and boarded up stuff in the back of cabinets and had to kind of saw through some tile. And I've just been been doing it, man. I've been doing it all. So are we going to see the reno on Architectural Digest's Instagram account? You'll see the reno because I'll, I'll share it on our Slack. Um, but I'm surprisingly very private about that stuff. I don't know. I feel like people are really cavalier about showing the inside of their homes. Yes. And because I don't know, maybe it's because I live, I've always lived by myself, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want anyone to see what kind of locks I have in my window. Or like what kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want anyone to see my, like, oh, that's how many doors she has in that room. Cool. Easy entrance. Like, I don't know. I actually went, I was hanging out with my grandma on Friday. I brought, I brought, I know it's ridiculous, Billy. I brought, I brought coffee over on Friday morning and I was hanging out with my grandma and she was like, oh, what are you doing today? And I told her I was painting, you know, more painting because yeah. um, I'm taking down wallpaper and painting walls. And um, she was like, I can come over and help. And I was like, how? <laughs> Keep in mind, my grandma had a stroke years ago that basically rendered her right side useless. And she's like, I can help. I can stand on a box and paint. And I was like, how about how, just stand up right now? Like we were pissing our pants laughing because I'm like, how about you just stand up out of this chair? And she started <laughs> to stand up and was like kind of wobbly. And then she started laughing and sat back down. And I was like, and now try to stand on a box. <laughs> and we were just <laughs> cracking up. And I'm like, you can't help me. It's OK. I can do it. I mean, <laughs> Honestly, I can't even stand on a box. So, right. I mean, you know what, though? I love that she's getting involved. I love that she's yeah. like wanting to help. That's so cute. By the way, it's it's incredible that you guys are going to be living together because most people by this point um, have probably read your book or cr- at least cracked it. They've at least cracked the book <laughs> and have read all about the relationship between you and your grandma. And just this idea now that you guys are living together is like, so sweet. I love it so much. Yeah, it's good. It's going to be fun. I think I mean, there's also the realities of living with another person and living with an elderly person. But for the most part, she's just a delight. And it's going to be a, a riot. Yeah, it's going to be real fun. Well, that's exciting. And I'm also I don't know about you because you've I wanted to ask you about this because you've been to the movies lately and I'm still considering whether or not I want to go into a theater. Um, There's a a, we have a drive through in my town that I might cruise cruise through. Oh, man. And park at and hang out. But what is it like to go into a theater? Like, what did you see? What was it? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was. um... It was actually really surprising that I actually went because so first of all, I'm I'm still in Florida. I'm still in this like kind of small town. The movie theaters here were always really like TBD, like they, they have like a multiplex and then they used to have like a lot. These kind of like smaller theaters that like only old people went to, a.k.a. the shit I love. Um, I was going to say, uh, you mean your dream come true? I know. Love a two screen, little artsy, fartsy, old person movie theater. It's the best. And um, they used to have some of those. Like when I first started coming down here, like 20 years ago, when my parents moved, um, 
They had a couple of those and they were great. But then most of those are gone now, just how they are kind of everywhere. But then also on top of that, COVID, I think, shut a lot of other stuff down. So really, there's kind of one theater that I think is open now. And from the looks of it, like when I when I drove past there, I thought it was completely shut down because there was nobody in the parking lot. And I think I talked about how they had the fair there. Like they had this like little street (laughs) carnival there. So I was like, this movie theater is fucking closed. And then I was like, actually, why are they selling tickets to to movies? It's a trap. (laughs) But then like, so I so I was like, well, shit, if they're selling tickets, I wonder what's playing. And for some reason, they're playing the Sparks Brothers documentary. And I was like, wow. Okay, first of all, I didn't even realize this movie theater was open. Second, I can't believe they're playing the Sparks Brothers documentary. Because I was like, it's a multiplex in this like... (laughs) you know, I don't know, beach, rural beach town. I was very floored. But of course, (laughs) the movie was only playing at like three o'clock in the afternoon Um, and maybe like six o'clock. I think there was a six o'clock showing. But I was like, again, perfect for me. I love going to movies during the day. So I was like, all right, I'm fucking doing this, right? I'm going to buy a ticket. And um, I bought a ticket and it was so cheap that I... (laughs) Audibly gasped compared to like the last time you bought a ticket for a movie in L.A. when it was twenty five dollars. Also, complete evidence that you absolutely belong at this kind of theater. Where you're <laughs> like, like turning around to the person behind you in line like, can you believe this? Eight seventy five. I was like, it's getting better every fucking second. Um, and, you know, so. So there was the idea that it was cheap and then I was like, it's during the day. But then also on top of that, I was like, well, if I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to definitely wear a mask. When I walked up, again, not a lot of people there. I actually, they were selling concessions, which I thought was great. And I got to actually buy movie theater popcorn, which I haven't had in so long. And I was like, oh my God, I love movie theater popcorn. I considered going to the multiplex theater a couple of towns over, which is attached to the mall. And I considered going in, getting popcorn and leaving. Yes. Hey, just because I haven't had it in forever. I have done that before. I have literally bought movie theater popcorn and never saw a movie. Just like would walk up and be like, give yeah. me the biggest bag and then just went home. Just snack on it at home. Dude, <laughs> it's great. Um, no shame in that. For the most part. So I walked in and every there was it was really empty. Um, a couple people kind of milling around. But for the most part, there was nobody, nobody there. And then, of course, when I walked into the movie that I was seeing, like it was three o'clock during the week and there was already nobody at the theater. So when I was in there, I was like, Oh, I might actually have this theater all to myself. Nice. I was like, that would be the best case scenario. Cause then it's like, I could take this mask off maybe. And then I can like, you know, shove popcorn in my face and watch, you know, the best part about it really was that I got to like basically remove the stigma of having cats be the last movie that I saw. At least you've seen one more. Exactly. <laughs> if this was going to be the last version, if things are are picking up steam and we're going to be back in lockdown, you're like, I'm rectifying the situation. Exactly. And the weirdest part, too, was that, you know, I, I talked about this, about how the last movie I saw before the lockdown was Cats. And I went to I saw it in L.A. with my friend April. And the weirdest part is that April is in the Sparks documentary. She's like one of the people that they interview. And so oh. it was this weird moment where I was like, oh, shit, like I saw the last movie in quarantine with April. And now I'm like technically watching it 
with her, even though she's not with me. But it was that thing where I was like, this is fucking crazy. So, yeah, it was it was actually a great experience. Like, I was really freaked out um, before I bought the ticket. And then I was like talking myself into it. But then like once I was there and I was actually alone, I was like, this is so tight. Like, love this. And I love going to a movie theater and then having the theater to yourself for about 10 minutes. And then all my anxiety kicks in and I'm like, this is the perfect scenario for me to get killed. Yeah. You don't buy. If I was ever going to be a murderer, I would look for the emptiest show on the emptiest day, like a Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Yeah. And I would not buy a ticket for that movie. I would just walk in, stab someone and walk out. (laughs) You'll never find me. (laughs) And you do it in the winter so you can wear like a hat and gloves and shit. Yeah. And then just walk out. (laughs) I didn't buy a ticket. I was never meant to be here. If it's winter, I can have my gloves and a scarf on. I can cover my face. Perfect murder. And that's what I think about every time I sit down in a theater and I'm alone. I enjoy it for about 10 fucking minutes. And then I'm like, when am I going to get killed? Also, the worst, the worst thing (laughs) is when you when you think you've got the theater to yourself. And this has happened to me at least three times where I think I'm in here by myself. This is so great. And I'm like spreading out. Once I farted, I'm like, this is awesome. And then at the end of the movie, lights come up and you notice that somebody has snuck in at some point during the viewing. Yeah. Like they just snuck in at some point and watched the movie with you and they watched all your disgusting behavior when you thought you were alone. See, I I know better than to get too fucking comfortable because I was basically like, I'm always that person too. And in fact, I did think that somebody at one point, it might have been like an employee though. They Somebody came in during the movie and I was sort of like, all right, well, there's that. Like, and by that time I had already finished my food. So I just put my mask back on, but it was that kind of thing where I was like, okay, somebody else is in here. But then I'm like, well, then now what? Like now I have to like go back to sharing my, (laughs) like, it's this thing. I I swear to God. Now I have to put my shirt on and like (laughs) put my bra back on. (laughs) Well, this is also one thing that I, I realized like, is now something that I need to like talk myself out of, which is that like now we're all returning to public life. And it's also like, it's not your, like to me, I'm sitting here going like, well, I want to go back to normal, but I also don't want to get near anyone. So like (laughs) I should be able to have the movie theater complain. I mean, it's just like the dumbest, like it's so bratty, but I'm also just like, well, you know, I also don't want you to be in here with me, even though I want to (laughs) be in public. I mean, it's just so stupid. I can't think that. So when the employee came in, it was that moment like, God, oh, God, one person (laughs) who's literally sitting in like the first seat right next to the fucking door. And I'm like on the complete other side of the movie theater. But I'm like, get out of here. You're ruining my fucking time. You know, it was they're doing their murder check. They got to walk in and make sure that nobody like me has come in dressed in winter gear and stabbed the only person in there. Somebody needs to make sure that fucking Jack Frost isn't in the (laughs) movie theater about to murder one person. An extreme amount of effort to kill one person in a movie theater. A tiny spree. (laughs) Let me put this like giant scarf and put these like gloves. Let me dress like Ralphie's brother from A Christmas Story just to murder one person in a movie theater. Just saying, if you've got an enemy. (laughs) Well, but listen, if you're 
first of all, I got to tell you, go to that drive-in right now. Like if I yeah. was you, if there was a drive-in in this town, I would have been there months ago. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see what's playing because sometimes they're hit or miss with the movies. It's like a lot of family stuff. You know, they have, you know, all the minions and, and you know, they kind of <laughs> gravitate towards families because those are the only people who want to like usually, you know, pre-pandemic load everyone into a car and go sit. Right. Um, but I'm taking it back for for us. I'm taking it back for those of us who are single and childless and just don't want to be around anyone. <laughs> see, best case scenario is to sit in my car alone watching a movie. It's great. Yeah, I'm psyched. And I thought I tried to do it in L.A. during the pandemic. I thought, you know, maybe I'll go to a drive through because I, I saw that a few people were going like on Instagram and stuff. And I. I cannot I'm not kidding when I say. It, I could not figure out like, well, how do you do the radio thing? Because the last time I went to the drive in, it was when they hooked the speaker on your window. Oh, wow. And now it's like you tune into a radio station or you download an app. And I was looking at the website and look at the looking at the instructions. And I was like, nah, I don't want to figure this out. Yeah, it's always like so hit or miss, too, because sometimes the radio station is like sketchy. Like it just sounds yeah. sketchy because it's at the very, very like end of the dial. So it's like, you're all like crackly like 79.2. And you're like, I didn't even know it went down to the 70s. <laughs> <know>. It's like <laughs> it's past all of the weird college radio stations. And it's like this, the first thing that you come to. And it's all just like, it just sounds like an old AM radio station from the 1970s. Like, you're just like, this sucks. The sound yeah. sucks. And look, I'm not the, the app. The app thing is what got me because I'm like, so now I have to use my data to watch this movie. <laughs> I'm not that person, y'all. I'm not using my data and I don't know how to turn my car into a hotspot and all that shit. I was just pressed before I even got there, just looking at the website. And I'm like, well, I'll just be watching a silent film because I don't want to do any of this. Well, I, and you know what, though, like when in Atlanta, there's a drive in a great drive in. And a lot of people, when it's nice outside, they sit outside of their cars in like, you know, little yeah. chairs. And that was always like hard because you would play the audio through the speakers in your car and roll the windows down. And I was like, right, I can't hear shit. Like I cannot hear <laughs> shit. We need to figure out like, and Bluetooth speakers hadn't really, they weren't really around at the time. And I, I remember going like, why are we sitting outside of the car? I can't hear shit. Like, right. like right. I like the idea, but the sound situation is not the practicality. Yeah. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see what's playing. And as long as it's not a children's movie, I'm going to go to the drive through. And if I can't figure out the sound within the first 10 minutes, I'll just drive home. Sounds good. You know, it sounds good. I have my popcorn and I'll just go home. As long <laughs> as I have popcorn, it's a successful mission. Yeah, it's completely worth the admission price to leave immediately with popcorn. That's it. I'm into it. I'm going to try it. And then you, I've got that, like, you know, those old timey drive in kind of tactics that kind of come back like a, a muscle memory yes. where we used to always go before the sunset so you can get the best spot in your car. So then you're just kind of hanging out there for a while, watching people pour in and the sun yeah, setting behind the screen. And like, it's not just that the length of the movie is a part of it, but there's a whole two, three hour prep before and after when you're sitting in the line to leave and when you're trying to get a spot when you arrive. <laughs> so yeah. you might have to show up at four o'clock in the afternoon and wait till eight and just like, you know, finish your work day at the drive in. You got a tailgate. Got to bring yeah. some cornhole or whatever. Get some get, some, get a cooler out there. 
And uh, you know me, I'm just going to take a nap. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I'll be sleeping. Knock on my window when the movie starts. Yo, I, I totally see that for you. Yes. I can't see you, you know, cracking some fucking Coors with the boys and um, no. tailgating a drive-in movie. Seats down. <laughs> Sheet up. I'll put like sunblock visors in my windows. You'll be you'll be like taking a piss in a bucket and be like, all right, when's this movie starting? <laughs> oh Lord. It's a drive-in lifestyle. But well, have a good summer, everybody. Whatever you're exactly. doing. However so. you're seeing movies, enjoy. <laughs> But speaking of heat and summer and films, we've got a fucking banger of a theme this week. Dude, that segue rocks, if you know what I it's mean. It's the only one that we've ever done that has worked. <laughs> it's the only one out of what, almost 40? <laughs> That's the going rate right now. Oh, Lord. Well, why don't we tell the people out there what the theme is for this week? The theme this week is the floor is lava. <laughs> Right off the bat, I got to tell you about the name. The floor is lava. So like I had literally no idea what this was. This term, the floor is lava, for me, entered my mind because I've been with little kids for the past year. And it was this like fucking like little kid game or something. It was like some YouTube thing, right? Well, it was a little kid game when we were little kids, too. Like that was the game. Yeah. I have literally never heard of this game. What? What? You said you played the floor is lava when you were a kid? Yes, because we were latchkey kids. We had a couple hours before my mom came home and you we used to just fuck shit up and like make up games. And that was a game we played, which was like, you know, you can stand on the chair or the couch or like you pick a spot, you try to get to it, but you can't touch the floor. Damn, I never but I never played that game where we called it lava. I think it was just sort of like, yo, don't fall in the river. Stand on the couch cushions <laughs> or something. But I never called it. If I had known that it was a fully formed thing. Wait, I just love that the Georgia version is, yo, don't fall in the river. <laughs> That's so crazy because I've never I never literally have never heard the phrase the floor is lava until I was around my nephews and they were playing the game because of something they had seen on YouTube. And I was like, the floor is lava. The fuck? But then now it makes sense. I just grew up in a weird place. Got it. <laughs> and it was like it's like a Netflix TV show or something now. And I'm like, huh? I haven't watched it because I cannot conceive of how that game even works or is fun. I know. But it's fun in person. If you try to like, get some kids and you want to keep them entertained for a couple hours, just be like, you can't touch the floor. Borderline abuse, but fun. Listen, I already told people I can't stand out of box. So I will definitely lose in that game. <laughs> um, But I have to ask you, though, just in general, what like. Were you all were you like me in that you have this like weird, irrational fear of volcanoes? Yeah, well, because we grew up in the like 80s, 90s and in the 80s and 90s, it was quicksand and lava, which you thought were going to be like the biggest threats to your adult life. Exactly. And then they weren't like it wasn't because it was never it was never portrayed as if like lava is a very specific thing that can happen. In these very specific places, even when you even when I started learning about volcanoes, it didn't hit me that like, oh, volcanoes are just kind of in certain places. The way that it was presented was like volcanoes are everywhere, kind of like the way that they're um, 
when you know when you move to LA or move in, move to California, and they're like, there are earthquakes here every day. You just can't feel them, yeah. and that's kind of like <laughs> what I feel about volcanoes and lava. It's just lava's running beneath us, just ready to explode at all times. That's what I thought when I was a kid. <laughs> Well, you know, so I I will say I was a little young for Mount St. Helens. Like when that happened, I was like, you know, barely alive. So I don't actually remember much about when that happened, like in the news. But I do remember when we learned about volcanoes in elementary school, because remember, everybody had to make that fucking volcano where they poured the uh, baking soda and the vinegar into their little <laughs> model. And then, you know, everything erupted, um, you know, they brought it to class or whatever. And so when we were learning about volcanoes, I remember that was the time that we learned about Pompeii. And for some fucking reason, I became obsessed with the idea of Pompeii happening. Like, I just was like, (laughs) and I think it is because or like (laughs) just like the idea of like, oh, this volcano erupts and decimates an entire civilization or town or whatever. And I think, too, a lot of it was because, you know, I grew up in the South where, you know, we don't really have earthquakes in the South, even though there has been earthquakes in Georgia that I've felt but they were very small. Now that I live in LA or now that I've lived in LA, I'm like, Oh, that baby tiny Georgia earthquake was literally happening every day. Like you said. Right. But I was always like maybe enchanted by the idea of volcanoes. Cause I just never thought about them in the South because it's always like hurricanes and tornadoes. There's no volcano natural disaster happening in Georgia. So on top of that, when we were learning about Pompeii, I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like this whole town got (laughs) run over by some lava and then everybody died. And like that is scary as shit to me. Yeah. And it's wild to see it, too, because if you look at images from Pompeii now, even it's like they have bodies there still that were just kind of. You know, now it's it's not like a theme park now, but like you can go there yeah. and experience the history of the place. But they have the forms and bodies and bones of people that died in the actual fucking volcano still preserved and like ash and shit. Yeah, that was a big thing for me, too, which I was like, I, I remember my teacher was talking about how the dogs got like the dogs and cats were buried in yeah. ash and then they're like in the thing. And I was always like, holy shit, that's fucked <laughs> up. And I I was obsessed with it. I made, um, speaking of like science projects, I, I made a diorama. Do you remember dioramas? Of course. And I'm talking about all these like old science classroom shit things we used to make. Um, but I made a diorama about Pompeii and I was just like, uh, just conceptually, I just thought it was so wild. And then a few years ago, I actually went to Pompeii because I was on vacation with my mom and dad in Italy. And we were like, well, might as well go see this Pompeii thing. And I was like, are you fucking joking? (laughs) It's like, this is a childhood dream. So we went and um, it was crazy. It was it was it was crazy to see all of it and just how big it was. For whatever reason, I didn't expect it to be like big, like as in like lots and lots of different places to look. And um, and I was also surprised that they got dick jokes in Pompeii. I don't know if you they know got that. dick jokes. Yeah, they do. I learned about this on Taskmaster, actually. Ooh. I believe it was series six. And Lisa Tarbuck brought in the uh, something in the first, you know, the first. Um, oh, God, what do they call it? First task. And um, 
she <laughs> she said that there and I looked it up after because she's a very smart woman. But I was like, what? I've never heard this. Apparently, they used to draw dicks that pointed the way towards brothels and stuff. <laughs> so like if you got off the boat or whatever and you were like, I want to fuck. And they're like, here's a dick. Follow the dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's a very advanced society. That's an advanced ass society where they're like, we know what you want. Here it is. We're going to give it to you in the most rudimentary way possible. So you cannot misconstrue this. (laughs) Follow them dicks. Let me just tell you, too. So we went to Pompeii and my dad, he's the king of like following the tour guide around and just asking him questions, like batting off everybody else. Like my dad's like, oh, could you tell me about this? Can you tell me about this? What's all this about? What's this? I was like, yo, dad. I love that every tour is a personal tour for him. Oh yeah, That's such a dad move. I know. I was like, yo, my dad cannot stop asking this guy questions. So when we get to that part of the tour where they talk about the brothel, I was like, I saw my first dick. Like that, the, the the little etching. And I was like, oh, hell no. I am not about to walk into the dick room with my dad. And I am not about to have him ask a bunch of questions about this dick stuff. I'm out of here. And I actually fucking walked out and went around the corner because I was like, I can't handle it. It's too weird. Um, You're like, I'm going back to them cats and dogs. I was like, I will meet you in the other crumbly room down the thing because I can't be here right now um so yeah that was like the one thing i did remember about pompeii but um it was great it was like a a dream fulfilled so i'm so glad you got to experience that and yeah volcanoes are definitely a they're a curiosity for me because i don't find i don't find that they are chill enough that i want to live near them or kind of walk on them or explore them (laughs) Even when they're not exploding, but there's such a curiosity to me because they are terrifying. And yet people act as if they're just like any old other mountain. And I'm like, that is not the case. As one of our movies will (laughs) expertly portray, (laughs) that is not the case at all. Yeah, I think that our our dual fascination with volcanoes, our dual fear of volcanoes um, was really the sort of idea behind the theme this week. And we have two. Okay, your movie is I would consider a classic. It was obviously something that you wanted to talk about um, because we had discussed it before about how do you watch this movie so much. And then my movie is so different. (laughs) So different. Um, But it will be, I think this is going to be a fun episode. It's going to be a great summer episode. We're going to talk about volcanoes and these two movies are a good pair. And I'm just I'm I could not agree more. And I'm just I'm just going to jump right in to the, the yes, floor is lava. Please. You're going first. <laughs> I'm going first. And the movie that I chose for our theme of the floor is lava was released in 1990, and it was written and directed by John Patrick Shanley. And the film is Joe versus the volcano. Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Joe, Joe, Joe Banks. In the story of a man, a mountain, and a miracle. Take me to the volcano! Now, this is this is a pretty upfront. Got to mention some some chops up here. Yes, John Patrick Shanley is um, he's a very prolific American playwright, mm-hmm. and a lot of his plays have been turned into films, and he's written a lot of films. So. He's most known for things like Moonstruck, Doubt, yeah, 
and Congo <laughs> just to round out that trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> That's your assignment for next week, everyone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he's he's a multi talented writer, y'all. Congo, doubt, moonstruck, <laughs> and Joe versus the volcano. So right off the bat, we're coming in with a heavy hitter. But then the, we have a movie that stars Tom Hanks as Joe Banks, which I kind of love. Yeah, uh, we've got Meg Ryan playing three roles. Yes, Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack. Ava Vagoda, Dan Hedaya, Amanda Plummer. Wow. Like this is a lot. And all of these, most of these people are playing very minor roles. Yeah. So you've got these great actors, like dynastic actors playing minor roles and yeah. just it makes the movie sing. But I love this movie. I have loved it since I was a child. <laughs> and I think that... It imprinted on me in very specific ways, one of which is it made me never want to work in an office. Oh, no kidding. This was one of the first movies I saw where I thought being an adult is going to fucking suck. Yeah. So you've got the setup and I'll give you a a brief synopsis. I'll try to do my one sentence (laughs) synopsis. For Joe versus the volcano. So Joe Banks, who is a former firefighter and current office drone, uh, is diagnosed with a rare and deadly illness uh, and given six months to live, which makes him a prime candidate when a man comes knocking on his door and basically says he will fund the rest of his life if he throws himself into a volcano. (laughs) So good. (laughs) <laughs> so that's the synopsis. So at the beginning of the film, which upon this rewatch, I realized it wasn't just like five minutes. It's like the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film where you're seeing oh, this yeah. horrible office situation, which works in the narrative structure because it really sets up the notion of why this guy would make this decision. Right. They show the, the full scope of misery of his life to show why he would make this decision. And so you've got Joe, he lives and works in New York um, on Staten Island, and he works in this factory. (laughs) He works in this factory called uh, American Panoscope, and uh, they are the home of the rectal probe. Yes. And there's a sign as he's walking into the, like he's doing this trudge into the office building with like everyone who works there yeah. uh, and during the credits. And there's a sign on the wall that says um, American Panoscope, 50 years of petroleum jelly. And I want that turned into a T-shirt so badly. I'm sure it's out there or somebody will make it. It is the funniest sign. And it's just those little bit parts in the beginning. But what I really love about the the opening of this movie and setting up Joe Banks as a character is that it is so gray. Like the coloring of this this part of the movie, it's it's just completely devoid of life and liveliness. And it is gray and gross. And the, again, the things that stick out in my head about the opening scene in particular is when he goes, <laughs> he goes to make coffee and the creamer chunks are just kind of floating in this dishy gray, like diarrhea brown water. And I was like, oh, God, the the indignity of it. God, yeah, this whole, the first bit of this movie, which you said is actually pretty long, this like whole setup is so, um, the, the art direction of it is so interesting to me because it kind of feels like already you're sort of like, okay, so it's almost like an artificial world or something where you're like, right. okay, so he's working at this like 
rectal probe company and everybody it looks very like it looks very much like an old movie it's like a it almost feels like a william cameron menzies type of thing where it's like art deco-ish or something like that yeah and it's like a lot of shadows a lot of like darkness um that's the the way that the sidewalk is like designed it's kind of got this like real jagged edge and the buildings are very tall so it's just it reminds me of like an old 40s movie or something it's really interesting and that design in particular, that jagged design, mimics the design of the um, the logo for the company. Yeah, yeah. And then you see it again later when he is walking up to the volcano. So they're kind of using those those images to kind of hit on the emotional point and the emotional beats of how how dreary and grim this is and how dreary and grim life is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I think, again, like the thing that came through to me so loud and clear was just the drudgery of it, just going every single day to the same place and being miserable and knowing you're going to be miserable and you have to go there anyway. Yeah. So sad. And then the other thing that really stuck with me, because in the, again, like in the beginning of the movie, it's there's comedy for sure. There are definitely funny moments that are happening, but it's not like you don't get that typical Tom Hanks kind of comedy until later on in the movie yeah so this is really just watching him with this bad haircut and just you know that he he tries to put his hat on the hat rack and the hooks keep falling down or or twisting around every moment of this guy's life is just a misery and he looks up at the fluorescent lights and they're blinking and his eyes kind of start blinking like he's having almost a seizure and that stuck with me too because i'm just like oh my god there's no natural light in here like there's no there was just no joy. And that came through so clearly for me, even as a kid, yeah. <laughs> even before I had a job, it came through so clearly to me that this was a miserable place. So you're finding him trying to find he's trying to find some some spark of joy in this office that he goes to every day. He has this little colorful lamp that he puts on his desk and his boss, of course, hates it. And He's also, as we come to find out, Joe Banks is a hypochondriac. So he's constantly going to the doctor. He's constantly like grabbing his throat. Like it, you, the feeling that also comes through loud and clear for me is that this place has made him sick. Like it's making him physically ill to yes. go there. Yes. So what happens along the way is he goes to a doctor's appointment and his doctor is Robert Stack. Oh. <laughs> his doctor Ellison. <laughs> Robert Stack had a big career like in classic film obviously, but then most people my age and your age know him as fucking Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. Terrifying. Yes. And every time I hear his voice, I'm triggered. That fucking trench coat. I have had so many nightmares where he was a capital figure in them yes. because of that show. Just that leering fucking trench coat. I'm Robert Stock. This is uns- like I just every like just oh my god. He just ruined lives. He went from he had a, he had a sterling career. He had a career so great that he could spend the last part of his career just ruining lives. Oh yeah, and everything on Unsolved Mysteries was like definitely something that it's like. And now here's a story of a woman who went to the movies alone and then just disappeared and was never heard from exactly. again. You're like, what the fuck? Like. <laughs> So, yeah, the minute he started talking as the doctor, I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. You're like, this shit's getting real. Like, this shit is going to get real. And it does because Dr. Ellison diagnoses Joe with a brain cloud. 
<laughs> he says there's you know, he's because he's such a hypochondriac, they were able to to figure out that he actually has an illness and he only has six months to live. And this brain cloud runs right through the middle, split, splits those hemispheres of his brain and it's going to kill him. But right now he's OK. And the doctor's like, if I were you, I would just, you know, live life and, you know, use whatever money you have and, and have fun. And the most realistic and hilarious part of that scene is when Joe's like, uh, I don't have any money because I spent it all on doctors. Like, welcome to fucking America. <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, that shit is real. I don't have real. any money to live the last six months of my life because I spent it getting diagnosed. Um, so we're just kicked into this this narrative of him quitting his job and kind of deciding that he does want to do something more with the, with the rest of his life, even if he doesn't know what that is. And one of the things he wants to do is ask Dee Dee, this co-worker of his, out on a date. And this is a Meg, one of Meg Ryan's characters, the first one we see. And she is so funny in all three of her roles. This one is great because she plays this kind of like... She's kind of like this far out sort of character where like everything is just so comical to her and so weird and new. And it's just kind of it's very endearing. But they go on this cute date. And then when he tells her he has six months to live, she's like, I can't handle that and leaves. It's it must have been a bummer considering that they had this like unspoken office, you know, flirtation. And then he and then he like lays that kind of bummer news on her. And she's just like, well, fuck, man. What the fuck? Yeah. But that's also part of it. Like, that's part of what's so incredible about spending that much time in the beginning of this movie in that office, because there's nothing more that was more powerfully conveyed than the notion of what it is to waste your life. So even as a kid, I was like, that absolutely sucks that they like worked together for all these years and now he's going to die. And they don't even get to go out on more than one date like this blows. Yeah. (laughs) Like life, the the, the notion that life is short is just peppered throughout this movie in, you know, intensely, you know, powerful ways and in very subtle and comical ways. But I I just I love that first image of Meg Ryan playing kind of against type because she it's very rare to see her like playing a bit like doing a bit. Oh, totally. I was so surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. She's fully doing a bit in a couple of her roles in this film. But then we cut to my favorite scene because, you know, I love a makeover montage. (laughs) (laughs) But Joe basically is uh, he's at home. No idea what he's going to do. And then Lloyd Bridges, who plays the character Graynamore, comes to his house and just his arrival. Like Lloyd Bridges is another person who had a sterling classic Hollywood career. And then I always knew him as like the funny guy from Naked Gun or from like he always did these kind of slapsticky roles when he was older, which I think is such a fascinating choice. And so just so lively. It's a very lively decision to be like, I'm not going to not only am I not going to rest on my laurels, I'm going to do something totally different. Right. So he comes into Joe's apartment in a very slapsticky way. And he's like, you know. He's like, this apartment sucks. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> hits his cane against the wall and like knocks out some drywall. He's like, this apartment blows. I own a company that makes superconductors. There's this island that has a particular material that I need to make my superconductors. The only problem is there's a volcano there and they have to sacrifice somebody every 12 years. Or, or else, you know, they're afraid the island's going to blow up and sink into the sea. Right. So that's the deal that he's made with the island is he will give them the person to sacrifice. And he te- he basically proposes it to Joe. And he's like, you know, um, I've heard that, you know, your doctor said you only have six months to live. And what a way to go, essentially, is how he 
he he prepares him for it. But then he also lays out like a bunch of credit cards, and one of them is a diners club card, which just <laughs> cracks me up so much. Such an eighties like here's a diners club card. <laughs> and he lays it out. Does Diners Club still exist in the year of our Lord so. in twenty twenty one? No? I do not think so. It can't. If somebody has a current Diners Club credit card, please email us at I saw what you did, pot at gmail.com. Email us and then use that card to buy 17 t-shirts just so we can make sure it still exists and works. <laughs> Send us a picture of the front and the back. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, holy shit, Diners Club. Man, what a thing, huh? It's just, but he lays out all these cards. He just fans about and he's like, look. You can use these cards. Here's the deal. I've got a ticket for you to L.A. You can go shopping today and, you know, have a blast in New York. Go to L.A. and then hop on this boat and you're going to take you on this yacht to this island. And then you're going to throw yourself in a volcano and you're you're good to go. Mm. Like, that's your life. You know what's coming. You can live out the rest of your days in tropical glory until you decide to commit suicide, uh, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And Joe is like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, he just so <laughs> does not give a fuck anymore. He's like, yeah, whatever. So then we go on this beautiful, be- there's such a beautiful scene. It is so funny where Ossie Davis, again, another heavy hitter in the world of not just Hollywood, but like black Hollywood royalty. Yes. Um, if you don't know about Ossie Davis, Ruby D, their activism, I just please look them up. They are incredible people and incredible actors. Uh, so he's playing this driver because Joe's like, I'm going to hire a limo to <laughs> drive me around New York and I could do my shopping. And Ossie Davis is basically like, what is your life? Like, who are you? What the fuck's going on? Because Joe's like, I need to get clothes. He's like, well, what kind of clothes do you need to get? And he's like, I don't know. So Ozzy, Ozzy Davis pulls over the car and he's like, what you asked me is a serious question. Like, if you don't know what kind of clothes you want, you don't know what kind of man you are. And I can't deal with that shit. I was, <laughs> like, like I was like just that? hired to drive. Exactly. I was like, he gets out of the front seat and get, he's like, I'm coming in the back. We, this is a serious convo. And I was like, that is shit. That is true shit. I was like, that's some existential shit. I'm like, it was. He was basically suggesting that, like, if you don't know how to dress, then you you don't know what kind of person you are and no one can tell you that like he couldn't recommend where to buy clothes because it's like well I don't know you I just met you and don't ask me right. that because that's just too heavy of a scenario and I was like hell yeah exactly when he says like I figured out my whole life figuring out who I am and now I'm tired and I don't yeah. want to figure out who <laughs> you are <laughs> I absolutely knew you were going to bring that up because when that when he said that I was like oh yeah that's what Danielle is going to grasp onto so real and so good i just found that whole scene delightful because then he does kind of quiz him a little bit about like who are you where are you going what is this trip what's going on and then brings him around new york city and they have this great you know kind of shopping excursion and he buys a tux and then he buys a tux for marshall that you know the ossie davis character and it's just really sweet and cute but at the end of that scene we're reminded that joe is just alone You know, he has no one to share any part of his life with, even at the end. Um, But he set off on his adventure. He's got his gear. And one of the most crucial parts of his gear is purchased from the most intense luggage salesperson of all time. (laughs) He goes into this store and it's the kind of store that has like a suitcase out on display. Which stores like that, I already am not about. I cannot stand those stores where they're like, we sell clothes. Here's a shirt. And you're like, what? 
<laughs> like, is this a drug front? How are you in business? Who is this store for? Why is this how you're choosing to market? Like, you don't have to jam things to the rafters like fucking Joyce Leslie. But like, <laughs> why? Why this? Why the singular item? I don't get it. It was like Melrose on steroids. It was like completely. And he gives them he gives there's like the one room that's basically looks like a church. And there's yes. like the steamer trunk in there. <laughs> He's like, if I was going to buy anything, I'd buy this. And Joe's like, cool, I'll take four of them. <laughs> and so he buys these four huge handmade old watertight steamer trunks. So good. It's so it's such a fucking funny scene, because, again, Joe is like he does not give a shit about anything. So this guy being so intense, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't give a, you don't even have to give me the spiel. Just point me towards the thing and I'll get it. Um, but he buys these trunks. He gets on the plane. He gets to L.A. where he meets the second <laughs> Meg Ryan character, Angelique. Oh. And she is so fucking funny just the way she talks in this scene she's got this like severe red <laughs> wig on and she's like an artist and a poet and she is Graynamore's daughter right so she's <laughs> like she works for her dad and she's like he just told me to pick you up and you know take you to the hotel and whatever and as they're driving in to LA she's like have you ever been here before and, and you know Joe Banks is like no it looks fake I love it and she's like it's a great town it's it sucks <laughs> like it stinks but it's great she's so intense and hilarious that scene where i don't know if they were like on Mulholland drive or something but they're like <laughs> they're like looking out on the city on the on the in the car and she like tells she asks tom hanks's character if he wants to listen to one of her poems yes I, laughed so hard at that and i was like i was genuinely looking at tom hanks's face to see if he was actually gonna like <laughs> laugh like if he was gonna break character because it was so hilarious the way she just like starts the whole like i'm gonna share a poem with you or whatever and then she does it twice which is so she fucking does funny it again that whole car scene is really funny because he's like, well, if you're if you're not happy, you know, working for your dad and, you know, you you, you don't have a life that you want to lead, like you should just go find out what kind of life you want to have. And she's like, do you mean stop taking money from my father and leave L.A.? Like, this <laughs> is so good. I was like, this might be the most accurate portrayal of a, a woman that lives in L.A. that we've ever seen on film. I'm just saying. The only one that's comparable, the only one that's comparable to me is the Sarah Jessica Parker character from L.A. Story. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those two characters to me are like, like, this is not scripted. I feel like they just listened to a conversation and he just put it into the script. This is a documentary. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lord. It was she, just this character is so fucking funny um but then you get to meet the final <laughs> the final boss of the meg ryan character is patricia when they get to the boat because she is going to be taking joe to the island in the south pacific um wapani woo is the name of the, the, the island yeah uh and she is taking him there she's the captain of the of the yacht and uh she's just meg ryan again basically but this is the first movie in the meg ryan Tom Hanks collaboration cycle that we will come to know and love all throughout the next 10 years, like through most of the 90s. And so she's just Meg Ryan again. So it's kind of fun to see her in all those different roles, knowing that the next time we see her with Tom Hanks, she's basically going to be playing kind of the same person. Yeah. <laughs> like in 
in in terms of playing off of him, their relationship in, in their rom-coms is pretty much, uh, it's very similar yes. throughout the, the next few films they are, they're in together. But this is, you know, this is a, a great and wild and fun trip for Joe. One of the funniest scenes in the film is when they're fishing on the boat. Oh, my God. And <laughs> she's reeling them in one after the other. And then he... <laughs> <laughs> he finally catches something and it's like heavy on his line and it takes like two people to help him like pull it back. <laughs> and when he finally when it finally crests the lip of the ship and he and it comes into view, it's just like a fucking hammerhead shark. <laughs> like the mouth is like, uh, like it's so fucking funny. I didn't see this movie when I was like a kid. I saw it, I think I was in high school when I saw it. But if I had seen this movie at like 10 or 11 years old or whatever, that would have made the entire movie for me. Just that oh, see that comedy completely. of like seeing this like cartoon fucking hammerhead shark come up. I screamed when I saw that. I was like, that's so <laughs> fucking funny. It's so dumb. It's like it's one of the like dumbest <sighs> jokes, but it's so good. It's so it's fucking funny. So, it's because it's so well timed yes. and it's so nicely paced. Even if you know it's coming, like when you actually see what they've created, it is funny. Fucking hilarious. And it's funny in that Burbs way, like that kind of classic Tom Hanks yes. sort of slapsticky way where um, he his scream is almost as funny as the shark that you're seeing. Oh. It's just beautiful. We love a normal guy that loses his shit. Like that's always big comedy <laughs> for the two of us. And Tom Hanks does it so well. Like it's like the he's, he's the godfather of that <laughs> character. Right. The absolute king so that so they're you know they're on this yacht they're doing their thing they're kind of talking and you know he tells her that he's gonna die in six months and you know she she doesn't know why she's taking him to this island until he tells her that and then she's kind of like that's fucked up like i can't believe my dad is making you do this and he's like no it's cool <laughs> like i'm gonna die anyway it's fine but then as will happen all hell breaks loose yes so there's a huge storm and Patricia gets knocked overboard. Joe dives in after her. And as he's in the midst of saving her from drowning, the yacht gets hit, struck by lightning and cracked in half. And the only thing that survives are his steamer trunks. So he gathers them up and ties them together. And they're just floating on the sea. And Meg Ryan is knocked out for like seven days. Like you just see the sun <laughs> rise and set like a million times. She's out for the whole thing. But it's very sweet because he takes his he has this little violin case that he's purchased. It's like a, a bar and it has, has like one bottle of water in it. And he just takes little capfuls and gives them to her and make sure she's covered up from the sun. Meanwhile, he is sunburnt and losing his fucking mind. <laughs> it is so great. And again, you can tell what's trying to be conveyed here that even at the end of his life and this is the kind of guy he is where he's always going to save someone first. Yeah. Um, which is very sweet. But there's also, God, this this movie has the most unexpectedly beautiful scene in it when he's watching the moon rise yeah. um, from the ocean. And again, he's completely sunbaked and just delirious. But then you watch the moon start to rise and it's huge. It's huge. And he looks at it. And kind of with tears in his eyes, he says, dear God, whose name I do not know, thank you for my life. Mm. 
And it's just so heartbreaking and touching in the middle of this comedy. Like this is John Patrick Shanley can really write a character. He can oh, really yeah. give you the full scope of a full scope of a, of a character, um, character's emotional life. And I just I loved it. Um, but then, you know, they get saved. They get to Wapani Wu. After all, they're welcomed. Now, here's where you have to again, you have to put yourself in the framework of the 90s because the South Pacific Islanders are played by Nathan Lane and Abe Vigoda. (laughs) So just get in that mindset. Not meant to be offensive, (laughs) but like we know that this is what was happening in the 90s. Um, And Abe Vigoda for his, I mean, to his credit, he doesn't try to affect an accent or anything. He sounds like Abe Vigoda, which is the funniest fucking thing in the world. He's in like full headdress and makeup and he's just like, uh, so you're going to jump in that volcano or what? Like, <laughs> he's just so flat out a pagoda. Yeah. And then Nathan Lane, who plays like the one that kind of welcomes them. But there's this whole really hilarious scene of, you know, they arrive and they're like, OK, cool. You're going to jump into the volcano tonight. So they have to, we have to get you ready. So Meg Ryan's being pampered and like tropical delight, like, you know, just the softness of, you know, having her calluses rubbed off with coral and, you know, being bathed in flowers and oils. And meanwhile, Tom Hanks is getting literally beaten with a fish like he's just <laughs> getting beat up with fish. And <laughs> there's that one part where. It's not explained, but they cut between the two. And when they cut back to him at some point, he's just like pulling a squid off of his face. (laughs) (laughs) Like the guys are all just totally fucking with him. And he's like, all right, all right, enough. He goes, he gets ready. (laughs) They show up, confess their love to each other right before they're about to jump into this volcano. And... Decide to get married. And again, Chief Abe Vigoda is just like, do you want to marry her? Do you want to marry him? All right, you're married. Jump into the fucking volcano now, please. All business. (laughs) So they do. They jump. They decide to jump into the volcano and Patricia decides to jump with him. And her whole attitude is one that I really love in this movie because she's very... She's kind of antithetical to the way Joe had been living his life prior to this diagnosis. And her way of living life is just fuck it let's find out yeah which you know comes with the privilege of being a rich white lady in LA of course but in general (laughs) I kind of like her general confidence and her general curiosity about life is pretty pretty cool so they decide to jump in um we usually don't do spoilers but I'm gonna do this one because it's not the end of the movie there's a bigger spoiler that comes after this so they jump into the volcano and the volcano immediately spits them out. <laughs> so they just fly through the sky into the ocean and land. And his trunks pop back up as the island is like sinking into the ocean and the volcano is erupting. Um, but there's a bigger twist reveal after that and another very beautiful moment. And it just, I don't know, at the end of this movie, you're just left feeling... It's a very delightful and enchanting movie for me because I think... Again, like John Patrick Shanley goes so deftly through the the misery of life to the joys of life. And it just it's a very it's a it's a strange movie to make you feel excited about life. But that's kind of the effect it still has on me. And it did when I was a kid and it does now. Oh, totally. It's a total like existential meditation that is being played out through like a quirky comedy. Like that's yeah great. Right. And um 
Again, I think when I saw it as a younger person, not like super young, but when I was a younger person, I did not pick up on the nuance of that at all. I just thought, oh, here's a weird comedy and I love quirky things and quirky characters and all this stuff like that. But then like now, of course, as an older person, I'm like, damn, this shit is fucking deep. Like, yeah. And really does create like and these sort of moments, too, where we talked about it before, where you're like, oh, these like tiny moments where, you know, a character decides or. Not, doesn't decide to do something and and i was really like having a moment where i was like damn what i jump in a volcano with this guy that i just married that i just met right and, you know like would i even jump in the volcano if i was him at this point like what what are they thinking like i just kept like asking the big questions like throughout this yeah. entire movie and i was like damn okay the, now i understand I what he was trying apartment. to do <laughs> Real talk, I wouldn't even have gotten on the plane. I'd still be in my shitty apartment in Staten Island being like mad about the fact that <laughs> I wasted the last I would waste the last the the last six months of my life being mad about the first 40 years of my life and all that I didn't do. I would have definitely spent the fucking money. Uh, I do love a steamer trunk. I would have definitely bought four steamer yes. trunks. Um, and the boat seems pretty chill. But then I think at some point if I was floating out on the ocean with no water, I would probably be at my wits end at that point. And I wouldn't have even gotten to the island. I've just been like, oh, yeah. let's just let's fall into this ocean and get bitten by this hammerhead shark and call it a day. <laughs> That's it. I lived the best life I could. I'm baked in the sun. I tried it, <laughs> tried it and didn't get there. So <laughs> also, and this is it is it's a weird movie about resilience, too, in that way. Right. Yeah. Like he keeps going. He doesn't have to. He thinks he's going to die in six months. He doesn't have to do any of this shit. Yeah. He keeps going. And and just want to point out, I believe and there is absolutely no factual basis for this at all. This, to me, is where James Cameron might have gotten the idea in Titanic about whether or not Rose and Jack could both fit on that fucking door. (laughs) I've never seen that movie, so I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm sure people are going to tell me. There's going to be comments. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to save everyone's breath, and I'm going to tell you right now, at the end of Titanic, they're floating around in the icy water. Okay. They're blue. Jack is... In the water, Rose is floating on a door. She, he tries to get up there with her and he can't like he gets off because they, they would both like sink. So he gets off and kind of hangs out in the water and then just fucking freezes to death. And then she gets rescued. So there's this whole argument about whether or not he could have fit on the door and also been rescued. Wait a minute. So you, you're telling me if they didn't both get on the door, the the door was sinking if when they both try to get on it. Is that they figured it yeah. out and they were like, not no good. Yep. OK. But then controversy is he could have fit. She could have made room. He could have moved over. They could have worked it out. Yeah, they could. You could put fit two people on the door. Just have your legs dangling out. If they have to amputate them, at least y'all both have your legs amputated. And that's great. <laughs> Like y'all are still alive and together, even though none of nobody has legs or whatever. Also, just take turns, man. Yeah, you hang out on the door. We'll put, we'll count it, you know, a hundred, and then I'll hop on the door. Okay, I'm definitely not seeing this movie. I can't handle that kind of <laughs> shit. I can't handle then, this. Oh, but you have to see it because the best fucking part of the movie. He's dead. He's literally frozen, holding onto the door. That's how cold he is. So she just like cracks his hand, and he floats back down into the sea. Oh, shit. <laughs> he sinks 
down like the Titanic. There goes Jack's life and dreams. And she just like cracks him off into the fucking ocean. It's unintentionally hilarious. (laughs) Weirdly enough, Titanic sort of plays into my movie for this week. So maybe we will bring this up in just a moment. But all right, I guess maybe I guess maybe I will see it. All right. Fine. Let's do it now. Let's we'll, we'll watch it when you when you come to visit. We're go, we'll watch Titanic. We'll make sure it is set up in the most comfortably hilarious way possible. So come in the winter. I'll have a fire going. We'll have snacks. Cool. We'll get some drinks going, and then we'll pop it on purely as like an MST3K experiment. Okay, you got a deal, my friend. But now I'm intrigued about your movie. I love Joe versus the volcano. I think it's a great summer movie. Love it. I still think it's a good movie for kids. Like I think kids could watch it. Yeah, for sure. It's a rarity that that you know we have a lot of older movies that kids could still kind of watch nowadays. But I just think it's a good summer flick. It definitely evokes childhood. I think for people our age, the high Tom Hanks era, it's great. It's a great, fun summer film. And it is such a joy to rewatch knowing that you picked it for this theme. So, And then there's your movie. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just keep talking about your movie? No, I'm kidding. All right, fine. We'll talk about my movie. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Holy shit. All right. (laughs) So my film for the theme of the floor is Lava (laughs) is a movie from 1997. It was directed by Roger Donaldson and it's called Dante's Peak. In the town of Dante's Peak, a volcano is turning nature into a nightmare. I want to talk about the disaster film a little bit because I think this is actually like a new genre for us. I'm not sure if we've ever talked about disaster films. No. Well, you know, these movies have actually been around for a long time. I mean, they've been around since the beginning, the early days of cinema. But most people probably remember the heyday of the disaster film in the 1970s, where you had stuff like the airport movies, stuff like The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure. And these were always these like big, epic films about like disasters, sometimes natural disasters, sometimes other types of disasters. And there was always a ton of old movie stars in them. I mean, it was just like, yeah, talk about the Abe Vigodas and the Robert Stacks, but it was like all those kind of big actors. And they were definitely like an ensemble cast type of thing. And they were very popular. They made a shit ton of money. And, you know, I've always talked about these upticks in like film where there's suddenly like a proliferation of a certain type of movie and a certain type of genre. And, you know, I think with the seventies disaster films, you know, I think they had a lot to do with just like the seventies as a decade, which I mean, there's a lot of serious shit going on in the seventies. There was a lot of bombings and hijackings and these kind of like big scary events happening. Right. So then you fast forward 20 years to the 1990s. And for some reason there was this, renaissance almost of the disaster film which i think actually has more to do with like what was going on inside the film industry at that time versus any kind of like political event although i'm sure you can make that argument as well but i think a lot of it was just this idea that we had 
advanced so far with the special effects technology, which we talked a little bit about in Terminator 2, but it's also like CGI was taking off. And so Hollywood at the time in the 90s was making sort of a lot of these big, expensive films with a lot of special effects. So, of course, you have stuff like Deep Impact, Armageddon, Titanic, which we just talked about, Independence Day, Twister, like all that sort of stuff, right? And in fact, there was actually another volcano disaster movie that came out the same year that Dante's Peak came out, which was called Volcano. And I feel like it was like a Tommy Lee Jones movie and maybe like Anne Heche was in it. I don't know. I never saw it. But anyway, that came out the same year as Dante's Peak, right? But let's talk about Dante's Peak, shall we? This is my first viewing. I missed it. I didn't watch it in the 90s. And that's my own fault and my own problem. And it was a mistake. Truly, it was a mistake. I, I'll just say right now, this might have well been a first viewing for me. I remember virtually nothing about this film. Um, there's, I call into question whether, whether I actually did see it. But whatever happened, I must have had my fucking brain erased by my brain cloud or something. Because <laughs> I... This was almost just like a new watch for me. I, I really could not believe what was happening in this film. Okay. This, this movie cost $116 million to make. And controversial opinion, it was worth every fucking penny. <laughs> okay. We will get to that in just a second. Um, I'm going to give a one sentence synopsis of this film. A volcanologist. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I know it's a real thing. I know. It sounds so made up. It's it's I truly had to say it like five times in order to figure out it was real. Um, and all the volcanologists who are listening right now, apologies. But, you know, this is new territory for us. OK, a volcanologist named Harry Dalton is sent to a small town in Washington state. He befriends the mayor and the two discover the giant volcano that sits directly above them is about to explode. Okay. Solid. I will also give another one sentence synopsis of this film, which is <laughs> this movie is basically Twister, but with volcanoes, which is basically <laughs> Jaws with volcanoes. So there you go. I love this. I, Dante's Peak is Twister with volcanoes and Twister is Jaws with tornadoes. Yes. <laughs> Great. Basically. Fucking perfect. So, okay. I like I said, I gave you the historical context for this motion picture just now. So you'll forgive me because the rest of this is just gonna be me explaining to you why this movie is absolutely fucking insane. Like, (laughs) I swear to God, I have never written my show notes with so many capital letters in my entire life. Excellent. And I cannot promise that this will be eloquent or poised from this moment on. So just fair fair warning. This movie doesn't warrant elegance or poise. <laughs> I hate to say If you were elegant about this, I would have more questions. <laughs> you know there are some motherfuckers out there that are being like, yes, let's talk about Dante's Peak in a very, like, let's, like, use, you know, let's use theory to describe. I mean, no, I can't do that. I just simply cannot do that this time. No, we're not partying with those people. Yes. That's not a podcast <laughs> I would listen to or be part of. This is a podcast. That is going to give Dante's Peak exactly what it fucking deserves. (laughs) Starting with, because they start out 
so hard in this movie. First of all, I love any movie where a scientist refuses to leave a dangerous situation because they're looking at like their stats on a computer printout (laughs) or like a machine. I love it. Well, let's let's get back to who is the volcanologist in this film. (laughs) So. The volcanologist that I spoke of is played by Pierce Brosnan, who I remember as Remington Steele, but was also James Bond in the 90s and early 2000s. Okay, so he's like a big, famous person in this era and his co-star in this movie, who plays a woman named Rachel Wando. She's the mayor of the town, Dante's Peak, and it's none other than Linda Hamilton, our Sarah Connor from the Terminator movies. Okay. (laughs) And the weirdest part, too, I think, is that the movie was actually Dante's Peak was actually produced by Gail Ann Hurd, who produced the first two Terminator movies. So this is like her and Linda Hamilton's like third movie together. I mean, way to go out with a bang on this one. So the beginning of this movie, Pierce Braz, a.k.a. Harry Dalton, is with his wife and they're driving frantically away from this like killer volcano and she basically gets killed by some volcano piece that like falls into the car when they're driving oh but we need to dig into that for a second okay because first a gigantic boulder of like lava rock crushes absolutely crushes the hood of the car no impact everyone's fine then the tiniest pebble melts through the roof (laughs) And bonks her on the head. She has a fucking seizure and she dies. I was like, it happened so fast because literally it's the first like minute or two of this movie. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? The volcano was already happening. And who is this? Who are these people? And what are they doing? And somebody's already dead within the first like two minutes of this movie. And then ultimate twist. That's not even the volcano we want you to pay attention to. I mean, they really fucking fucked you up there. I'm I'm telling you. But that's where the grief pushups come in. Because the next time we see Harry Dalton, he's getting a call from like his geology buddies at work. And he's doing like fucking grief pushups throughout. Like he's basically traumatized to the point where every time he hears the word volcano, he has to do 10 pushups. Yes. He has never recovered from the event of seeing his fiance die from a volcano because we've cut to suddenly we've cut to four years later his boss at the united states geological survey has sent him to check out this alleged seismic activity that's next to this like giant volcano sitting next to this small town in washington called dante's peak okay now right off the bat he is introduced to rachel the linda hamilton character and we discover very quickly that she's a single mom of two preteen kids, a boy and a girl. And when her son is introduced in the film, I literally told myself, I think that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he's doing cosplay of Eddie Furlong from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. First thought was it was JGL. I thought the same thing. Definitely thought it was him. But then I was like, why is he dressed exactly like Eddie Furlong in T2? And I was like, this is fucked up because Linda Hamilton is in this movie. I was like, dude, I'm like this movie. I feel like I'm already on acid and it's been like 10 minutes. <laughs> um, also, the kid is wearing a sub pop T-shirt, which I thought was a nice touch. I also love that, like in the first five minutes, they go to get her son because he's hanging out in a mine. Yes. 
And he's yeah. like, where are we going? And she's like, and this one will take a second. Knock, knock. Get out of that mine. Yeah. His, <laughs> his kid's fun clubhouse is in a fucking mine in the middle of a mountain. It's like crazy. So bras, hams, and the kids decide to roll up to the kid's grandma's house who lives up on a lake right near the volcano. Okay. And as it turns out, this is the the mother of her ex-husband and she is like living off the grid. She's like, leave me alone in my house, which I feel that lady. I feel that. But they figure out that some shit is up already with this volcano when they decide to let the kids swim in some hot springs that are like right in the woods. And while they're walking up to this hot springs area, they are seeing like dead animals everywhere, which already I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that ain't good. But then even like Dr. Harry is like, that ain't good. Okay. And right. right about the moment that the kids are about to jump in with their bathing suits, they find the boiled remains of like a young couple that got cooked by these hot springs. Okay. And these two are giving Paul McCrane from Robocop a run for his fucking money indeed because they are... <laughs> dead like they are just like cooked they're so boiled it wasn't bad enough that these kids had to see the like a couple of squirrels that had kind of yes. blistered open like hot dogs like you know when you cut a hot dog and like you cook it in a frying pan or something and it looks kind of blisters open and curls up now they have to see the human version of that yes. just trying to go for a goddamn swim so of course harry and rachel are like okay We've seen like dead things and all this stuff. We're going to have to alert the town. So Rachel being the mayor of this town, she calls a meeting of the city council or whatever. And I have to say, okay, this part was like, what the fuck? So the camera angles in this movie, especially <laughs> in this meeting sequence are totally insane. Okay. They are coming at all these boring townsfolk people all cool and slanted and twisted. It's like, I swear to God, I was like, is this a color me bad video? Why are these people <laughs> being shot at an angle and they're zooming into their faces real quick? I mean, it was like so weird to watch. It was like a sequel to Natural Born Killers just yes. for that scene. Yes, it was some fucking like crazy 90s MTV style of a city council meeting. I was like, this is fucking crazy. Okay. So just as they come to a vote on whether or not they're going to, like, you know, shut down the town or whatever, Harry's boss from the geological survey comes in and he's like, hold on, folks, hold on. No need to freak these people out. And he's like, come on, dude, you are way too hot headed for this. Like the boss just like completely debases Harry in front of everybody yep. and like calls into question his expertise and judgment. All this shit. I mean, it's like I was going, I've been here, but damn, this boss is a dick. Am I right? He was savage. He was such a fucking savage. Also, I love just as much as I love scientists who refuse to leave because they're looking at their instruments. I love a town council meeting where they're like, we can't actually protect people from this natural event that's going to happen because someone wants to give us money. Yeah. And if they think that something bad could happen, they won't give us money. Like just capitalism winning again. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're like, why don't we just kill everyone? Because this guy wants to drop some money in this town. Yeah. They're like, nobody will want to come here because it's a volcano town and we don't want that stigma. So, like, let's just put everyone in danger and not check out this fucking 
weird shit that's happening in the town with the dead animals <laughs> and everything. And then the boss confirms it because he comes in. He's like, yeah, absolutely. I've seen this happen before where we kind of tried to evacuate a town and all their tourism dried up. And the guy's like, mm-hmm, see, I told you so. Yeah, exactly. So Braz is neutered now. Can't do anything about the volcano. So he's like, fuck it. I'll just hang out. All right. Although I got to say, I got to say, just to back up for a moment, my favorite line in that whole city council meeting is when the boss, Paul, is like, guys, don't worry about it. We're going to be here. All of us volcanologists and geologists, we're going to hang out. We're going to be bouncing laser beams off of that volcano. So if anything happens, we'll tell you right away. And I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. What? What is the science behind that? Please. Yeah. They, they start saying a bunch of like. He starts coming up with all these like, well, we're not going to believe or trust your expertise as a geologist, but there's some other shit popping that we'll figure it out. We'll we'll get it figured out, but we're just going to make you look like an idiot in front of this entire town. OK, you didn't mention lasers at all. Get out of here. Yeah. So Braz is like just hanging out in Dante's peak at this point. And it was at this part that it really made me think like, wow, Pierce Brosnan is such a weird choice to play this character. All right. Like, like I said, he was a major star in this era. So, of course, he was in a big budget disaster film. And I actually don't mean any disrespect to you, Mr. Brosnan, sir. But honestly, like Harry looks more like this cool, like European guy vacationing in the fucking South of France instead of a yeah. guy that studies rocks. I'll just say that. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are hot volcanologists don't come into my DMs. But I was like, Pierce Brosnan is a little too hot to be in the rock game. I'm just I'm just saying, like, first of all, if you are a hot volcanologist, you're absolutely welcome in my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, he's like Thomas Crown Affair. Yes. Like I he's like he's Remington Steele, he's Bond, he's Thomas Crown Affair. He has a drink in his hand and he's on a lounger in some shorts about to jump off a yacht into the ocean. That is what I need from Pierce Brosnan. I don't it, in the same way that I mentioned a few episodes ago, I don't like I haven't seen Terminator with Matt Smith in it because I don't like the idea of Matt Smith like running around and being sweaty. I do not like the idea of Pierce Brosnan being so fucking strapped and like stressed out and looking at rocks. Yeah, he's not supposed to wear the John Popper blues traveler vest at all. Like he's supposed to be <laughs> he's wearing Varnays and he's got a pop collar. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad you understand because I was like, man, he's wearing the fuck out of those sunglasses. He's just a rock guy. Okay. <laughs> so predictably, everybody in this town is obsessed with coffee. Okay. <laughs> Probably because it's Washington state. And also nobody is fucking worried about this volcano. Now <laughs> they're not worried now. Yeah. Just to humor him though, Harry's boss sends a robot up to the volcano to find out if it's off and popping. Okay. Now, Harry and his coworker, who is a funny guy who does science and a Hawaiian shirt, they go into the volcano with the robot. Okay. And because the guy is a Hawaiian shirt guy, he is a slob and he untethers himself and starts bitching at his little like C3PO robot thing for acting up. The, the robot is acting up. And wouldn't you know, 
while this is happening at the exact same time, there's a readout at home base that says that there's seismic activity happening. And wouldn't you know, Harry has to go down and rescue this guy and the robot. And they almost die, but then they get rescued by a helicopter. And even after that shit, the boss is still like, there is absolutely no volcano. We are not fucking checking it out. The end of story. You just you just broke your leg for nothing, you fucking idiot. It's fine. Nothing's happening. Meanwhile, their co-workers at home base, who are all like perfectly quirky in their own unique ways, they just saw a readout of seismic activity. And they're also like, dude, it's nothing. And I was just like, wow. Okay, no one is giving a shit about this volcano. There's all this evidence that's pointing. And Whatever. They're honestly, they're all really annoying and they should definitely stop drinking so much coffee. But that's the situation. This is all to say that really this is the perfect setup for Pierce Brosnan's character to be absolutely right about some shit. Don't you think? Like this is all coming together for him. Cut to Hams and Bras are going out on their first date. And let me tell you, that volcano ain't the only thing that's hot. Because as we figured out from the first 10 minutes of this movie, the mayor is so horny and everybody in this town is so horny. And I'm like, yo, our mayor is always this horny because honestly, like, what is going on? Like, oh, God, you know, and like they start talking about like Pierce Brosnan's ex-wife, how she died in the volcano thing from a few years ago. And it's like, oh, it's like two single middle aged people that are being pushed together by mutual tragedy. Okay, (laughs) And so while they're hanging out. Someone, I think it's Linda Hamilton's character. She goes over to the sink and she gets a glass of water and out comes this like gross sludge. And it's at that moment that it's like, yo, the volcano is about to pop. Okay. It is just a brown slurry. It's beautiful. Disgusting sulfuric acid mixed with sewage. Okay. From this point on, I swear to God, this movie goes from zero to 200 Absolutely. so quickly. Okay. And, and the kickoff, the kickoff of when it truly goes apeshit. They're in the car, looking at the volcano, a little smoke's coming out. Pierce Brosnan, deadpan, says, she's blowing, she's going. <laughs> and it goes to 250 from there. She's blowing. She's going. So the first 30 minutes of this movie that I just explained is like a total fucking snooze compared to anything that happens beyond this point. Okay. The rest of this is like a fucking Stefan sketch. Oh, my God. (laughs) So so the two of them, the mayor and the volcanologist, decide to call the town meeting and get all the residents. And they're like, we're having a press conference. We got to evacuate this shit. Okay. And the two of them are sitting in front of people on the, you know, at this press conference table. And suddenly the, there's a pitcher of water on the table, which is somehow not from the gross water that they just got from the town. Right. This pitcher of water starts moving just like in Jurassic Park. And As this happens, as this meeting is happening, the water shakes and this fucking volcano blows right as this meeting is happening. Instantly goes from a little bit of shaky water to pow, 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 pow. (laughs) And let me tell you, from here, it's literal pandemonium. Okay, (laughs) there is a stampede to get out of this town hall. Okay, 
Everyone's running <laughs> to the doors. And it's right on the heels of this one lady in the meeting saying, do we have to wait to leave? And she's like, no, you can leave whenever you want. Volcano goes off. Nobody's getting the fuck out of there. It is a stampede. It is. People literally climbing all over each other to get out. The people that make it outside, the fucking buildings in the town start crumbling and toppling. Somebody wrecks a car in front of a bunch of people. And then you start seeing everything just fucking go ape shit in this town. Like everyone that's driving a car is trying to get on the freeway and the overpass just fucking collapses. So there's like people running on foot out of town. I mean, it looks like when you watch like old footage of the original Woodstock, it's like people fucking driving and like walking and running out of this town on this one road. And meanwhile, Bras and hams escape the stampede miraculously. And then they remember, oh, shit, we got to go back and get my kids. This. okay, we got to stop and talk about this for a second, because this is the mayor of the town who is about to go to a town hall meeting to talk about the fact that this volcano is going to erupt. And she intentionally left her kids at home. Okay. She's like, I'm going to go to this town hall meeting to talk about how this thing can go at any fucking minute. You guys stay here. Don't stay with me by all means. Just stay at home. Well, keep trying to call your grandma, who is a bitch from hell. (laughs) Keep trying to get your bitch grandma on the phone and try to get her out of her fucking tinderbox house on the mountain. I'm going to go do this meeting. Well, as it turns out. They try to go to the kids and the kids have decided to steal a car and drive to get their grandma. P.S. They're both like 12 years old. That might be my favorite part when they pull up and she goes, my truck isn't there. (laughs) Those kids piece the fuck out. These preteen children have stolen a car to drive up to a volcano to get their grandma. Okay, and now... Harry and Rachel have realized this is happening. So they've dr- they started driving to the grandma's house. And in this scene, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this. <laughs> they try to drive their car across a river. OK, <laughs> that has suddenly flash flooded. OK, oh, God. and while this is happening. Another fucking car from the other direction who is also driving through the river, okay, crashes into them in the water and they get into a river car accident in slow motion. They see the car coming for like 25 minutes. And the whole time he's like, nah, it's cool. Like my engine has a snorkel. We'll get out of here. And then this car's like jaws coming at them for like 20 fucking minutes. It's just like total like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then like car crashes into them in the river. So they've got into a car accident in water. Okay. <laughs> and, when, and when I tell you, like we already know it's pandemonium, but it has reached a fevered pitch to to the degree which... There's like panic price gouging going on where this fucking helicopter pilot is charging $15,000 to fly people out of Dante's Peak. Okay. And already I'm like, where are people getting $15,000 in cash as they're running in front of exploding buildings? Like, who's like, yo, I got to go to the ATM and get out 15K. Wait a minute. The bank has toppled over. 
Because this is like the bank, the facade of the bank has literally slid to the ground because that's how (laughs) uh, every building collapses. It doesn't like fall down. Everything like the church just kind of slides like the bell of the church just kind of slides off. (laughs) And then the gas station kind of slides off and the pie place kind of slides down. (laughs) There's no there's no chill when it comes to this volcano. Okay, and of course, the helicopter takes off. It's raining ash, so the helicopter can't see, and the whole fucking thing crashes. It explodes right in front of Harry and Rachel's car. (laughs) So I'm like, yo, what the fuck, right? It does that thing where it's like fucking perpendicular, like coming at them blades first. (laughs) Yes. I was like, not only did they just survive a flash flood and a river car accident, but now a fucking helicopter is exploded in their faces. Okay. Now. And there's like 45 more challenges to come. Oh my God. You don't even know. Cut to the kids who have miraculously made it to their grandma's house. And of course, she's like, I ain't leaving. I'm dying in here. You can't get me out of here. But then. Literally, lava comes through her living room walls. So it's like she's like reminiscing over an old picture. She's like looking at her a picture of her husband and her son. And she's like, I remember when we built this place. And Linda Hamilton's like, not now, bitch. Like we got to go. And then a lava, like a lava slurry just starts coming out of the walls. It is Fucking great. It's immediately like new plan, grandma. Lava just fucking came barreling through your old photos and your fucking Cracker Barrel rocking chair. We got to get out of here. okay? (laughs) so then Harry, Rachel, the kids, Harry and Rachel have arrived. The kids are there with grandma. The lava comes through the fucking cabin. So they decide that they're going to get into a speedboat and drive across the lake as the lava is literally coming at them. Like, they're like, get in this boat. okay? And let me just tell you, the water in this lake rivals the shit from the Salton Sea. There are dead <laughs> fish everywhere you look. And the whole thing is just like this acid lake, right? Grandma's dog has taken off. And I thought the only way that scene could have been better is if as they're looking at all the dead fish, they just see the dog floating by. I know. More about that dog in just a sec. But OK, they're in this acid lake, which is eating this boat that they're in. I mean, now I question whether or not they would have even had five seconds in this boat before they were just like, it was just destroyed by the acid in this lake. Okay. But they're in the boat. They're like getting there. They're getting there. They're singing fucking like rounds of like, what is it? Like row, row, row Row, your boat. I'm like, what the fuck? So suddenly the boat motor gets eaten. Okay. By the acid. (laughs) And the boat's just sitting in the river and they're like yards from the dock and they can see it. They're almost there. And in a truly stunning fucking moment, the grandma jumps in the fucking lake and pulls the boat to safety. And I screamed. I screamed when this was happening. Especially because the whole time she's been so obstinate and she's the reason that they're in taking a metal boat across an acid lake. So I'm like, yeah, jump in that fucking water and save your family. You're the reason they're here, you asshole. And let me just tell you, she is (laughs) she is sizzling when they pull her out. (laughs) 
Okay. Like I legit screamed. She is sizzling. Okay. <laughs> so. Oh, God. The National Guard shows up the next morning, right? And oh, good. it's only now that the rest of Pierce Brosnan's co-workers are finally like, oh, shit, let's dip. Okay, so they get into a bunch of Jeeps. Okay, I, I don't even know if I can say this part. <laughs> so they get into a bunch of Jeeps and they drive out of town. And it's across this, like, giant roaring rapid river that has literal trees and debris and house pieces in the river. And I was sitting there going like, why did these professional volcano people (laughs) drive across that bridge all nonchalantly? Okay. Because predictably the bridge that they're driving over is finally compromised by these giant chunks of like tree trunk and housing and shit that's in this water and of course since the boss was a dick earlier in the film he and his car get swept away in this river and (laughs) even though everybody else made it across literally everybody made it across he's the last guy he gets swept away with the river and then there's a there's a shot where (laughs) his employees and the National Guard, by the way, are just sitting there watching him float away. Like the National Guard guys are like, <laughs> see you later. Can't literally do anything. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why was he the only one in a fucking conversion van? Everyone else was in like a Humvee. And he's like, let me hop in my fucking econo line and try to outrun this goddamn volcano. <laughs> And then the look on his face, because they're like, you have to get out. You have to get out of the of the truck. And he finally gets out and he's holding onto a pole as the bridge is like tipping back. And the look on his face is just like, oh, shit, you sons of bitches gave me a fucking econo line. And then he just dies. He just goes into the fucking (laughs) sea. And the, the National Guard is literally sitting there like, oh, shit, like, like, I don't know. I guess we just got to watch this guy fucking float to his death. We can't do a goddamn thing about it. I mean, it is literally like in that moment, I think everybody was like real, like sad, but I was crying (laughs) laughing. Like I was just like, this is insane. This is totally insane. So at this point, okay. The grandma is just simply too cooked by that acid (laughs) lake. She passes away in front of the kids, which is harrowing enough. Okay. But then the family finds a Jeep. (laughs) It isn't at this moment, which is maybe the most outrageous part of this film for my money, certainly, which is that they drive this truck over actual lava. (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm not sure how that's even possible. (gasps) The tires are on fire. (laughs) It's like Ghost Rider style. Like they are on a fucking fire. I died at this. But then, and you know what part I'm going to laugh at. I laughed at the hardest next because I texted you immediately. They drive over this. They're in the process of driving over a field of lava in a regular ass car. (laughs) Tires on fire. The kids are like, mom, the car's on fire. What are we going to do? And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay at all driving through lava then all of a sudden one of the kids goes hey 
there's Ruffy and it's the fucking dog and the dog is like soot covered and bugged out and like what? And they're like, we got to go get it. She literally says while the car's on fire and they've just driven over lava and they can't even get out. And she's like, I got to get that dog. And Bras is like, yeah, you do. It is the whitest moment ever committed to film. And I fucking lost it. And I love it. And the dog jumps over lava into the truck and makes it. And you're just like, standing ovation. Like, you're just like, this dog jumped over lava and is safe. Somehow safe. It made it through the acid lake. It It made it over lava. And now it's back in this truck with these people. It made it through the wilderness. Somehow it made it through. (laughs) If you and I had seen this film in a theater in 1997, we would have stood up and clapped. Oh, my God. I knew. I know it. We would have stood up and clapped at that moment. It was such a triumph for this fucking dog. This fucking dog is like covered in soot. Like it was white or kind of brownish gray. It is like in blackface at this point. It has been through so much. (laughs) so this entire family now with the dog they all end up as you do when you're trying to speed away from a volcano blast which is that they end up in the mine shaft they drive into the mine shaft where the kid had his clubhouse okay and i and i'm assuming that all his friends have passed this poor kid because it's like (laughs) this entire town is fucking dead okay now the funniest thing is that they get into the mine shaft and Harry is trying to make this scenario as chill as possible. So he's already like, he's telling this random woman's kids. He's like, we've been through a lot. So how about we all go on vacation when this is all over? And I'm like, is no one going to unpack the idea that you just drove over lava? I guess not. That your grandma was just cooked like a piece of bacon. (laughs) That you've seen so many boiled dead bodies today, more than anyone else will ever see in their entire lifetime. I'd be worried about their trauma. I was thinking about it when I was watching the movie and I'm like, man, they're going to be so traumatized. And then I thought, nah, those kids have sucked in so much ash and smoke and sewage and chemicals. There's no way anyone who survived this lived beyond five years. (laughs) So true. I was like, this is absolute chaos and destruction on a level that we've never seen before. Okay, and then the little kid, Graham, the little boy, he starts acting like the consummate host. He's like, yes, I have some water. I have soda. I've got snacks. I've got like my mind. My mind shaft clubhouse has everything. I mean, it is wild how they went from like fighting for their survival to like, oh, this is a chill spot. Y'all want to just hang in here for a while (laughs) and eat some crackers and talk about vacation plans. I was like, it's not chill for everyone. It's not chill for everyone. Shit. So here's what happens to wrap this up. Pierce Brosnan goes back to the car for his satellite phone because he's like, let's call the people. We're in a we're in a mine shaft. And of course, wouldn't you know, the mine starts collapsing. And now Harry is smashed into the back of his own fucking Jeep. Okay, and he is like totally fucked. But somehow the NASA phone sends a signal. And like a few days later, his bonehead fucking coworkers figure out that his phone is going off and he is eventually rescued and he has somehow survived with just a broken arm and he hasn't pooped or peed himself at all (laughs) or anything. It's incredible. Like you're like, wow, 
Way to go, dude. You were smashed in a mine amongst all these other things, and you are only hobbling out with a broken arm. And just when he's thinking, did everyone else in the family come out of that fucking mine collapse? How about the rest of the gang comes waltzing out of the mine completely unharmed with the damn dog and everything and everyone, all the workers, all the news people are cheering and it's simply too much. I screamed. I was like, this can't be how this ends. Oh, they weren't even hungry. They just came out. They weren't even like mad or hungry or like if I'm stuck anywhere with my family for three days, I'm going to be fighting when I come out of that place. (laughs) And the best part of this, I'm sorry I gave away the ending, but fuck it. You know, this is just how it it went today. The final shot is of this family now. This trauma-bonded volcano unit, they fly off in a helicopter and they look down at the town and it literally looks like Judgment Day happened. Like there's mud and skulls and darkness. And I'm just like, damn, this volcano fucking hit. (laughs) Right? And this is the fucking movie we just watched. This just this absolutely insane. I haven't laughed this hard in a movie in so long. And I, again, couldn't even remember any of this stuff happening when I first saw it, which basically means I didn't see it. I only really saw it for the first time for this episode. And damn, what a fucking treat, man. (laughs) This, I said it before and I'm doubling down. This movie was worth every fucking penny. (laughs) Because it is so entertaining. And that is sometimes you just want a movie that is going to entertain you. And this movie delivers it in spades. It is absolutely fucking great for a summer film. Oh, my God. Perfect blockbuster disaster summer movie. Go and watch it. I mean, honestly, like. For my money, it is literally like one of the funniest watches. Like, I just could not stop laughing. The best part about watching a disaster movie is just the epic nature of it. Just like the fucked up shit. Like, it must be so fun to write a disaster movie, honestly, because I, you could just yeah. cook up any kind of fucking scenario. Like, science doesn't matter. Everything is outrageous. And those are the funniest movies to me. Like, anything that's just over the top. That's why we yes. keep watching shit like San Andreas and like the Meg and like shit like that because it's so outrageous and it's just it's so fun to watch something like this you know it truly is I had an absolute blast I laughed so much but I was still also again like deeply entertained yeah I didn't know what was coming next I'm like I don't know man the volcano's going but who's to say that there isn't going to be a fucking tidal wave out of nowhere (laughs) like nothing is off limits And it's great. Yeah. And this movie really hits home. I mean, to go back to the idea of what the theme is for this week, just the fear, the volcano fear that we both, you know, talked about at the beginning of the episode. This movie really hits home because you're just like, wow, there's so many ways to die in a volcano. Like all these, this animal, this one dog experienced like five of them. It's just, it's just insane. The squirrels were just walking on rocks and they just kicked it. Like there's so many, earthquake sewage lava there's so many ways that a volcano can kill you before it even blows up we have every right to still fear them (laughs) i don't know how there's not a federal statute at least in the u.s that like you cannot build a town within a hundred square miles of a volcano 
Just don't do it. Oh, my God. I mean, truly. It, I mean, it's just it to me. It just made me think, wow, like it must take balls to live in Dante's peak. I mean, it just really must. Truly, the only thing that this movie was missing was a theme song. Oh, no, I know. Had we had Aerosmith do a fucking rockin' ballad for this shit, this would be like a top five for me, maybe. I mean, honestly, so much crazy shit, so enjoyable, such a fun summer movie, and such a good volcano movie. The floor is definitely lava, and we just drove over it. <laughs> somehow everything is lava <laughs> everything is your life is lava your emotions are lava <laughs> there's no escaping dante's peak <laughs> this is a great week thank you so much for picking this movie i loved watching it oh my god so fun this week thanks for hanging out with us guys um if you want to email us <laughs> for anything we talked about this week please do at i saw what you did pot at gmail if you're a hot volcanologist, you can find us on I Saw Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And we also have merch if you want to get into some, you know, T-shirts, sweatpants. If you want a mug for all the coffee that you drink in Dante's Peak, it's uh, in the Exactly Right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. And look, this is if you're not driving or otherwise doing something dangerous right now, it's a perfect time to stop. Go to Apple Podcasts, do a little rate review Make sure you subscribe. And we also have bonus episodes up on Stitcher Premium. You can use the promo code SAW for a free month. Yes, we actually have a bonus episode that's going up this Thursday, actually. So um, look for that in your Stitcher Premium feeds. And do you want to tell the folks what the movies are for next week? Oh, I sure do. <laughs> next week's movies are Road to Perdition from 2002. And Ad Astra from 2019. Wow. Literally, what could it be? What could the theme be? Two new movies, newish movies? Wow. Newish movies. Having said any of that, yeah, I, again, such a blast. Thanks for hanging out with us. See you next time. Bye, everybody. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Ruffy! <laughs>